Mean Old Lion Media presents Corner Table Talk. Hi, I'm Brad Johnson, host of Corner Table Talk. Here we explore subjects related to food plus drink plus culture. For questions or comments about our show, you can reach me at brad at postandbeamhospitality.com. So in March of 2020, the world as we had known it changed. One of the things most affected was our ability to move around, to travel as our time and respective budgets allowed. Travel and the freedom to move about was something a lot of us took for granted. Pick a destination, book a flight, and off you go. What struck me at the start was when other countries closed their borders to Americans. All of a sudden, we were all home, unable to be anywhere but the good old USA. And we all know the drama that played out the rest of 2020. When your chosen career is travel and worldwide travel is part of your job description, a travel ban is about the last thing you would want to experience. Well, that is exactly the case with my guest today, Nate Flewellen, host of the travel show Worldwide Nate, and more recently, Escape with Nate on the Africa Channel, which is described as an international travel show bringing travel influencers and celebrities who travel into homes across the country to share their past travels and to talk about why connecting with people around the world has provided a greater perspective during these challenging times. A native of Chicago with a high travel IQ, Nate has visited over 50 countries and six continents. He is the quintessential guide to living a global lifestyle and has been traveling the world since 2004. Well, today we are pleased he has landed at Corner Table Talk. Nate Flewellen, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and, and catch up with you again. Yeah, man. It's, it's great to have you here. So, Nate, we kick things off with uh, our short order questions, just some things to uh, get us rolling and get your reaction to. So I'll, I'll roll right into that. Tell me, what is in heavy rotation on your playlist? What are you listening to these days? Tyler, the creator, I play his album probably almost every day. Come, um, Yeah, I love that album. It's very uh, in our artistic expression, and it actually inspires, it puts me in a creative mindset uh, just with the mute, the beats and the rhymes, and um, it, it, it got me excited about like life and, uh, and just the possibilities of what I can achieve creatively. I love that, man. Is this a new, new music from him, or...? Yes, it came. The album has been out probably no more than two months. So it's been um, it's, pr- it's been pretty exciting to get a, a, a new resurgence of this fresh music. So I listen to him. Um, I'm always listening to, you know, like a lot of like old school classics. So like Marvin Gaye and um, and discovering like with the verses, you know, like the Isley Brothers and and uh, and Earth, Wind and Fire. So that's been, um, you know, a, a gym or even listening to D Nice and, and the, uh, the Sister Sledge. He plays one of those songs is one of his favorite songs. So I've been um been uh, really just taking taking the, the the positives of this pandemic quarantine and 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 uh, finding the the little nuggets that are inside of of everything in life. Yeah, man. Yeah. Speaking of uh, artistic expression, I can't help but notice uh, some art behind you. What what is that? You know, I am I'm actually in Paris right now. So this is an Airbnb. That um, so I don't know who the who this this art doesn't belong to me, but it's uh, but that's I, kind of like cool. It. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's super cool. It's um, you know, like probably looks like expressionist type of art. 
And uh, yeah, it's a cool little uh, Airbnb that I found here. So I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm coming to you live from Paris. All right. Well, see, now that's what happens when you talk to, uh, you know, a world traveler like me. You, you don't know where he might be coming to you from, but I'm feeling that, man. We're, we're, we're talking to Nate in Paris. So, so tell me, man, what is your morning routine on the road? What do you do when you're traveling, when you, when you wake up to get yourself started? Well, I wake up, I, I uh, actually, I wake up, I pray, and then I, I go work out. So no matter what, or I may stretch and stretch wherever I am if the it's raining um, and I can't, you know, go outside. But I like to uh, I always like to get up and get a workout in. That gets my day going. That's that's pretty much my routine and, and a light breakfast. If I'm, you know, outside of L.A., if I'm in L.A., then I, I wake up and I go surfing. So that's my um, either or. So it's, it's some type of fitness or being active just to get my body going and make me feel like uh, I at least accomplished something in the in the fitness space and got that off my plate. Yes, sir. What is your preferred footwear of choice when you are traveling? Nike. I have uh, I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a firm Nike believer. You know, I, I grew up in the Jordan era being from Chicago. And so, you know, everything on my feet is Nike. So right now I'm wearing um, some of their, they have these uh, trail run shoes that are really comfortable. They got a lot of traction, a lot of ankle support and uh, basically a great shoe for walking through airports and terminals and buses and whatever mode of transportation I'm taking to get to my next destination. Yeah, I figured you would have some, you know, good tip on the footwear, knowing how much, you know, you're walking through airports and long distances between connecting flights and all of that. So I'm I'm happy to hear that you're, you're a Nike guy. Best live foreign musical performance you have seen, something that did not, was not viewed by you in the United States. That was best foreign that I that I watched or was that you were there for, we'll say. Oh, you know, there this was almost 20 years ago, but I was in Buenos Aires. I was in um in, in Argentina and they had this outdoor venue and it just had this random um uh, set of staircases that you couldn't walk up. It was just there for the art of it. And it was just like a house session and uh, there was this house music and, and it was all in Spanish. And I wasn't, my Spanish was very basic around that time, but it was my, it was probably one of my four, fourth or fifth trips out of the country. So everything, my whole, it was sensory overload. It's like, I'm in Argentina, I'm hearing the Spanish accent. Then they had, they, they, they had, they pronounced like Joe is like, uh, instead of yo, they say to, like the T in there. So it was just, it's a different accent with Spanish and, and, um, and our money was so much stronger. So I'm balling. <laughs> <It was> <laughs> so I, everything was, you know, it was a great experience. So yeah, that was, um, that was a great uh, experience right there. Yeah. I think I saw a video of you in Havana at a live musical event uh, also. Oh yeah. The major laser concert. That right. was awesome too. Cause that was actually on my birthday trip and that yeah, that was actually. I'm glad you reminded me of that. That was that was pretty that was pretty epic because it was outdoors. That was that was the first international since they had opened the borders up for more Americans to visit. That was the first um, major concert that they had, and it was um, it was cool because it was just like you. See, I got to see the youth of of, uh, of Cuba and just seeing like the the fashion sense and the whole style. And for this to be a communist country where you know a lot of people are are poor, there's still still opportunity style is is always going to make its way, you know, no matter what, you know, rather if you're rich or poor and especially amongst, you know, people, you know, the poor people, they had so much uh, style and fashion sense in Cuba. It was pretty exciting just to observe. 
Yeah, and I, I was touched knowing all the things that you just said to be true by the spirit and how music can just move you, you know, regardless of your personal circumstances. But, uh, you know, we can all just embrace music and, and get excited when we hear something that sounds good. Yes, yes, definitely. So let's stay outside of the continental United States and tell me the location of your most memorable dining experience. Oh, my most memorable? My most memorable was in the Democratic in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It was on top of the Niragongo volcano. And so uh, I, I did this adventure hike. It was in one, one episode of my show. And I did a five-hour hike to the top of the volcano, which has the world's largest lava lake. And so our porter climbed up ahead of us. And when we got to the top, he had uh, dinner prepared for us. So we, it, we and, and during the hike, you know, for about an hour, we had to hike through a rainstorm because it's, it's very random. We went through the beginning of rainy season. So it was a downpour and you have to keep hiking because that's where the shelter is and that's where the fire is <laughs> to dry off. Even though there's rain, it's like ice cold, torrential rain. So we got to the top, you know, got warm in the, in the cabin where the cook was making the food and, and had this delicious meal at the top of a volcano, spent the night in the cabins. They had these permanent cabins at the top. And then in the morning, he cooked breakfast and I'm eating breakfast and having a cup of coffee, looking at a lake of lava just exploding. And this lava is coming from the middle of Earth. <laughs> so this is pretty fascinating. Man, I can't top that, brother. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> I've had some good dining experiences, but I, I can't top that one. And, you know, you said something, Nate. I watched that uh, that uh, you talk about that episode and that trip and you use the expression of you just had to move your two feet, you know, and right. to me, it was kind of there was a metaphor in that that, you know, I relate to you and what you do. I mean, you you have decided to move your two feet and your two feet are taking you around the globe. But just tell me, expand a little bit on that thought. Yes. Uh, you know, the adventure is is everywhere. Uh, so. You know, like my the way my viewpoint is that God put us on earth and man created countries, borders, towns, municipalities, etc., to divide people. So it's like it's my guy given right to explore as much as earth as possible while I'm breathing. And so that's what I'm gonna do. And I'm never gonna I'm not gonna stop moving until God is say it's time to come home because this is my planet. Well said, man. Well said. So where have you not been? That's high on your list. Antarctica. I would love to get to the seventh continent. It's um, it's on my list. I'm plotting and planning. I don't know when I'm gonna get there, but would love to go to Antarctica and and see the penguins and just the white continent and just experience that. And you know, like just just to piggyback on what I was just saying, as far as you know, seeing everywhere on Earth is uh, is is uh, is you know, it's my goal. So I want to like get to that seventh continent and then fill it in with as many other countries as I could visit. You know, when when I had the time, are you going to Jacques Cousteau it and go in the dead of winter or are you going to go in it when it's a little warmer in summer? No, Jacques was a gangster. He's a dude. I have to give him his props. <laughs> Certain people I'm not trying to top. I'm just trying to get in and out safe and sound. <laughs> I feel you, man. Best beach. I know you're a water guy. Best beach for the energy, the people, the environment is is Ipanema and Copacabana Beach, like Ipanema in Brazil. Like the that that is uh you can just go and sit on the beach, sit on the sand and just it's just so beautiful. It's just um the vibe, the music, just the Brazilian people is like, you know, like their their boat went left 
went south, our boat went north, and those are our cousins. You know, you see people that look just like everybody you knew that you grew up with and family members, but they speak Portuguese and we speak English. So that is the um, best beach environment as far as like picturesque uh, white sand beach situation. I was uh, in the Maldives. I stayed at the uh, Sonivi, Soniva Johnny Resort, and it was just just beautiful white sand beaches, blue water, warm, best, perfect temperature. And um, so, yeah, that was that was the best, like aesthetic beach. Man, you got me. I'm a water guy, so I'm, I'm I have not been to either one of those two places. And uh, you definitely got my, my head spinning. All right. Last one of these, uh, Nate, who past or present would you most like to travel with? And where would you go? So maybe somebody that's no longer with us or somebody that is, who would you like to be to have as a travel companion? The a travel companion, past and present. I, um, oh, you know, um, James Baldwin. I, would, I, I read his work and, and he's just, you know, for him to, you know, the time where he spent, lived in Paris and, you know, just the way his, his lens and how he, you know, articulates what he saw and captured everything in so much detail. You know, I would love to, to be able to travel with them. Yeah, man. Just imagine, you know, tipping over to a little Parisian cafe and meeting up with, with James Baldwin this afternoon, man, as part of your, <laughs> your journey. How cool would that be? Huh? Yeah, that would have been awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's jump in here, man. So um, first off, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm um, booked and busy, as my cousin would say. <laughs> yeah, so things are going well. I'm, I'm excited about everything moving forward, you know, with the, uh, the current shows and new projects that I'm working on. And, and uh, you know, my, just my current, you know, position being here, location being here in Paris. So uh, everything, I can't complain. Everything is, is going well. And, and, and then look forward to the, the surprises that uh, God gives me along the way. Yes, sir. It's good to hear. Well, as you alluded to, man, we met several years ago when on one of your L.A. visits, you covered my restaurant out there, Post and Beam. So it's good to see you again. And also your cousin Bryce has been a guest on Corner Table Talk, and we're big fans of his and Every Table, the the organization that he works with out in L.A. So with the travel ban bringing you to a screeching halt and for someone who moves around the globe like you do, what was the past year like for you, Nate? Uh, Well, well, I, I kept moving my feet. And even in L.A., it, it was a certain time where they shut down the beaches. So what I did is I have an e-bike. And so me and my one of my friends, she has an e-bike as well. And we would meet up and we would ride around L.A. We would um, ride all the way down to Watts, to Pasadena, to Santa Monica, everywhere. And then I just every um, opportunity we had, it was, you know, it was to go out and explore. So even though I couldn't leave you know, the city or the, or the state or a country, um, there was still an adventure, you know, with them locally and then exploring that through, through biking was a new adventure because the GPS would take us on the routes that were bike friendly and less traffic, even though there was no streets on the road. So I'm able to see LA from more of a pedestrian lens and seeing how it's all interconnected and LA became smaller because I rode my bike in 30 minutes. I rode from middle of LA uh, West Adams all the way to Pasadena or down to Watts. And it just didn't feel like it was a long trek at all. It just felt like, you know, I was, I was there in a, in a second. I mean, the, the e-bike helped. So I wasn't like, you know, manually pushing myself there, but, um, you know, that's what, that's what happened where, um, 
right you know i was still able to get outside because i'm Mm -hmm. I'm an outside person so Mm -hmm. you know if i had if i was stuck in the house i would have been miserable but because i was able to get on my bike and and have my e-bike that really helped yeah man one of my one of my favorite all-time things to do man was hit that venice beach bike path i did that uh religiously man and it would take you from just below malibu as far south almost as you want to go past manhattan beach and I didn't do too much street riding because you know, L.A. drivers can be a little bit, uh, they take a few risks, I'll say. But right. uh, yeah, seeing L.A. by bike, man, is is a nice way to go. So you mentioned you're in Paris. When did international travel start again for you? Well, my first international trip was 2004. But the the possibility of travel started when in my youth because my mother would go on missionary trips with the church. So she had been to Brazil five times, Africa a couple times, Europe. Her and my father traveled to Mexico and the Caribbean. And then I had an uncle who played ball in Lyon, France. So he would tell all these stories growing up. And that, that two cousins that are probably six to eight years older than me, they played professional ball overseas. And then I have a cousin that lives in Macau right now. He's always worked overseas. So he's like the a big time executive for the Venetian in Macau. And so I always put international travel in the bucket of that's what adults do. So fast forward to Tennessee State, my professor, Dr. Galen Hall, he had wrote his autobiography, uh, uh, Crossing Cultures. And then he gave me a copy and signed it. He, he challenged me to be an entrepreneur and see more countries than him. And that book documented his travels to over 80 countries. So when he said it, I was like, oh, I'm an adult. Like, I could do that. Like, I'll show, I'll show you my family's been doing this, so I could do it. No problem. Challenge accepted. And and then I was off. So my family was this, planted the seeds, and Dr. Hull was this super fertilizer that just put that battery in my back, so to speak, and I was off and running. Yeah. I knew there had to be more to the story because I did hear the story about the professor who uh, challenged you in that way. But I, I thought there had to be, uh, you know, something a little more uh, in your DNA that uh, gave you that travel bug. So when did when did you start traveling internationally again post pandemic? Oh, post pandemic. I think the first the first trip I took, I took my mother to Tahiti, Morea and Bora Bora for her 74th birthday. That was in October of 2020. And so that was, um, yeah, that was my first international trip. And I, that was great. That was great to be able to, to you know, just have a, give my mother that experience and experience myself. And I went went surfing out there and, um, you know, got got a chance to see this this place that people, you know, save up for or marvel about. And it was um, it, it, it lived up to the hype. What was it that stays with you? The the people. You know that everywhere I go, the people make the, the make a huge difference. But the people were were super super accommodating, super nice. Just had a, a great energy about themselves, you know. And um, and so because I'm a surfer, I, I hang. You know, I, I tend to socialize in these surfer carefree environments. So being able to um, meet the the local surfers uh, was was an awesome experience. And uh, in Tahiti and Morea, and then when we got to Bora Bora, that was the um, the luxury creme la creme experience. And what stuck with me was just seeing how seeing my mother just so excited and just how much uh, that that meant to her because she she told me this when we got back, but she said that she she got married to my dad, but she never had a honeymoon. And so I was just like, wow, you know, this is, you know, probably like 50, 60 years ago. And and it's just like that desire to do something never leaves you. So it's, just, it's better late than never or, or not dreams that destroy, but dreams deferred. But that was also part of my motivation to 
to keep moving because I always heard these I would have could have should have stories from older family members. And I promised myself that I would never live with any regret. So if there's something that I have an interest in, I'm going to try it because I don't want to have any, um, I don't want to leave anything on the table. I want to, if it's, if it's a desire and it's that if I, if it's accessible to me, then I want to experience it. Yeah. Great attitude, man. And, and what a lovely thing to be able to do for your mom and experience and experience that with her. Nate, any, um, any travel tips or, or was there anything different, uh, given the, the pandemic in terms of traveling? Obviously people are flying and wearing masks and wearing masks in airports, but did you experience travel differently as a result of, um, caution around the, the pandemic and, and COVID? Well, there's extra steps you have to take with getting the getting the PCR test. So that becomes a you know a balance of a, a strategy of looking at your calendar to make sure that you're taking the tests you know in a certain amount of days so you could board the flight. So that's added an extra layer to to traveling. And as much as I've consistently traveled, um, you know that's that's <laughs> you know two times within a, a trip I had to get a swab stuck up my nose and and spend money to get to leave the States and get back into the States. So that's been a, um, a hurdle that, um, can get, can be annoying sometimes, especially, um, as I, you know, continue to gain some more momentum with my trips and could travel more consistently. Got it. So, you know, a lot of young folks, man, coming out of college, the thing you want to do, man, you want to hit Europe or you want to travel if you have a little extra money and, and see the world. And, you know, clearly you, you did that, but what, what, occurred to you that made you believe that this might be a career for you? Well, there was two things that happened. I was I was standing on a beach in Roatan and I saw this resort and then a friend of a local guy that I met, he said, oh, this is um, these Italians. They uh, they fly from air all on all Italia every week. So they'll they'll come with a plane full of Italians. They'll go to this resort, kick it, hang out. And then another plane to come and it's just like bussing Italians back and forth between Italy in Roatan, which is in Honduras. And I was like, man, this is insane. Like my friends, we, they were just going to Vegas and Miami <laughs> and LA. And I'm like, I got to show my, my, just my, my people that there's more than just, you know, staying in the States. And that was a big motivating factor. And also my space is where I started sharing my content. So they had a blog section. And so I would document my trips, including this Roatan trip. And people will reply like, oh, that was great. Or I would love to travel with you. Or, you know, that, you know, they would have all these positive compliment, uh, compliments. And I was surprised that people read it. And, you know, and I was just like, oh, man, this, I got something here. And so that just kept adding the fuel because it was my desire to show people there's a, there's more out here. And then when I shared it, they were receptive to it. So I was it was, um, you know, feeding, feeding the fire. And so that's what um, really kept me inspired and motivated in the beginning. Yeah, man, I, I feel you. So, Nate, the, the, the concept of experiential travel, I only really began to hear about the last few years, yet you seem to have a natural ability to immerse yourself into local culture of the places, into the local culture of the places that you visit. There was a time for me when travel meant escaping the winters in the Northeast and laying on the beach in the Caribbean. But people want more from travel these days. I, I, I know that I do. So did the inclination to immerse yourself into local culture develop over time as you got more comfortable traveling or was that natural to you? I think that was natural because what I realize now as an adult is that uh, growing up, I went to a, my, mo- my mother put me in private school, but she also gave me um, a choice. So after each year, she, was, she would ask me, do I want to go back to that school? And I'm like, no. 
And then she would put me in a new school. So unbeknownst to me, going into new environments and meeting new people and connecting with them and building relationships is something that's like set the set the uh, set the stage for me to have this curiosity of, okay, what do you what do you guys do here? How do you say this word correctly? What's your culture? What do you eat? How long? You know, all these exploratory um observations that I have when I go into a destination because that's that's always been my upbringing just by going to different schools and having to make new friends and learn the new rules of the school and and just the whole culture and everything so um and then going to graduating from going to attending Tennessee State going there and just meeting all these these beautiful black people that had so many diverse backgrounds that just accelerated everything because now it's like, okay, we all look the same, but you know, you may be, you may have some liberal point of views or some conservative point of views, or you may be a super nerd or you may just be here just trying to get some girls, or you might be trying to be like this or that. And it's just all these different people and all these stories. And I was just fascinated. So I really had TSU's opportunity for me to get to know so many people and see just how when people when, when that when that statement is said that we're not monolithic, I really experienced that and know that we aren't monolithic at all. It's just not a cool soundbite. Like I've I have some met some beautiful, diverse black people at Tennessee State University. And clearly you have a curious mind. And I think that that's, you know, that's 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 always a good thing. You know, I've seen images of you hang gliding, surfing, running with the bulls, swimming with jellyfish, defying gravity. I mean, you are single-handedly upending the self-imposed notion of what, quote, brothers don't do. <laughs> um, tell me, man, uh, what is the um, most dangerous situation that you've ever been in? Or was there something that you that you took on that you said, man, I, I maybe I got myself into more than I should have with this one? Oh, uh, activity wise. I haven't, I haven't hit that, that, um, I haven't went over the, the fear threshold. Like I always, I like to do things that are, you know, dangerous and slightly light threatening. It's, just, it's, it's, um, it's something I seek out and, and, um, and, and look for as far as the activity wise. Now, just, um, being present, I had to, uh, I had a run in where I had to go talk to a favela boss and clear up, you know, clear up some stuff uh, in uh, Brazil. So that was uh, most that was the most like dangerous, potentially dangerous situation. But that was uh, where I had to, you know, clear something up with with uh, the boss because it was a misunderstanding with some um, some little small guy who was trying to make a name for himself, and and uh, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> You're here to tell the story. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, changing gears a little bit. I know you've been to Africa many times. Can you just give us your take on the motherland the food the people the beauty well the the food is um it's very diverse i've eaten everything from bugs to sheep's head to you know eating at five at michelin star restaurants to to brides which is their version of barbecue so the you know for the con for the continent to be so diverse and have you know probably like a billion people there is a variety of of food to eat but as far as the people the one thing that I love and I just was telling a friend this is that when I was in Zanzibar, I was standing on the corner and it was just like people were just walking and nobody paid me any attention. And it was it was a it was a moment of peace because I didn't have to worry about the police. I had to worry about 
you know, being a black face and a sea of white people and somebody, you know, people, you know, just being a, sticking out like a sore thumb. I just blended in and I was a nobody. I was nobody. And, in, and you know, as we, you know, in American culture, we everybody strives to be somebody or stand out. But that moment of not standing out and blending in was what I um, is what I look forward to to go back and experience where I could just be a fly on the wall and just have that peace of mind and, and just and then, you know, know that nothing's going to happen because I'm just going to occupy the space that I'm in. And, and then that's perfectly fine. Yeah, that's profound, man. I, I feel you. Um, you competed in the Maasai Olympics. <laughs> well, correct. What was that like? I competed and I got my butt handed to me. <laughs> <laughs> man, so so the Maasai Olympics was cool because what they do is they they incorporate the um, traditions of the Maasai culture into these Olympic style games be- to prevent them from going out and killing lions because part of their 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 culture and their rites of passage. It's for young boys to go out and kill a lion. But by doing that over the past two decades, maybe three, they almost de- they decimated the lion population. So or they would kill lions in retaliation for the lion killing their cattle. So they would have the they have these Messiah Olympic Games where the winners would get, be awarded like a scholarship to go to school to learn and also receive cattle. And so the abbreviated version of the games that we had did for the show was the javelin throw and then there's a rungu throw which is for accuracy the javelin throws for distance the rungu throws for accuracy where you there's this like wooden style hammer that you would throw into a ring and then there's the high jump and then a sprint and so out of six competitors for the sprint i think i came in like fourth so that was the best that i did in all the events was fourth place and so yeah those those uh those brothers were on point they was Man, athletes I, I, I've seen the Maasai, you know, on, on television. I've never been there, but that would not be the, the group of people that I would challenge to an Olympic duel. But uh, but but you did that. I mean, I, that, that's that's pretty admirable, man. <laughs> how did you how did you even approach that conversation? I mean, most people would, you know, if they find themselves in that situation, like a selfie might be enough for them. But <laughs> you you compete Olympics, you know, well, how did you negotiate that, man? Well, you know, I want I wanted to share their story. I always knew about the Maasai and I was I was always fascinated about them. Oh, that's and that's what happened because a professor in college, he was making an example and he had in, of class and he said that I would look like I'm Maasai. And so so when he said that, that was another seed, you know, just my professor in college introduced me to the Maasai. And I just had this fascination where it's like, oh, the Maasai. So when I got, you know, so greenlit the show, I was like, this is an opportunity for me to learn more about them and tell their story. Because I just had this fascination about them that I that maybe I could be Kenyan or Maasai, you know, because it was just this desire to find home and have this connection to Africa. So uh, with, with the games, it was just, you know, I'm a competitor. I grew up, you know, playing basketball my whole life. Um, so um, so just the, the the competitive spirit in me wanted to see how it would perform and and uh, and then learn learn their culture at the same time. So it was kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, man, that's still brave. But uh, yeah, I, I hear you. Um. So in watching Escape with Nate, your show on the Africa Channel, I was watching an episode with uh, Rondell Holder, who has an a, a organization called Soul Society 101. And the subject came up. He, he takes tourists to Africa. I want, want you to talk a little bit about what he's doing. But between you and, and Rondell, the subject came up about what you guys almost are laying out as a, as a version of 
the Green Book, but an international version. So can you expand a little bit on what Rondell is doing and, and you know, kind of how you guys both uh, you you dovetailing in your efforts? Yeah, Rondell, he is with Soul Society 101. He aggregates a lot of uh, or, you know, supports a lot of the black travelers out there. And it's important because it's important for us to see ourselves even um, even if it's going to you know a mainstream place, you know people people are having these entry, multiple different entry points of of traveling, whether it be their first time or or super experienced travelers. And it's great to go to his page and see the content he's creating because you know he's he's it's it's aspirational to um, inspire a group of black people and support black people that you know are, are sharing their content because you want you know we want people to see what we've done and where we got to because somebody could have saved up money for a couple of years and went to a destination and they captured that photo or that image and then it gets shared and liked and then people support it through comments or resharing it. And then that makes you feel appreciated, appreciated and also motivates you to keep traveling or, or bringing a friend along or, or just sharing and having that trickle down effect where we open up the, the whole possibility to our community where we're not, we don't have this boxed in. Um, I'm only, you know, regulated to my to my hood or my, my block, my hood, my city, my 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 south side, you know, town or 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 city or state. But it, it's all it's expanding because we know that there's a bigger world out there than what we've been introduced to, and it, it so it's uh, it's great because it allows the black community to um, see themselves globally and, and adapt that that philosophy where it's like, oh, this is Earth, like I'm gonna go everywhere that I possibly can. Yeah, man. You know, it, it just reminded me of a, a. I grew up in Manhattan, in New York City, and uh, I remember as an adult talking to a friend of mine who was from uptown, who was from Harlem, and I was telling him about Martha's Vineyard, and I described it as an island off the coast of Massachusetts, and he said, "Where is that upstate?" And oh, man. he's a grown man, you know, his perspective, man, and so you know the the travel thing, man, and I mean, is it's just there's so much value in that. Nate, your the subtitle of Escape with Nate uh, is in search of a black utopia. A utopia, of course, as we know, is an imaginary place. And you ask your guests, as well as some of your viewers, to offer their vision of a black utopia. What was your intent in introducing this as a concept to contemplate? I wanted to see what people imagine. I want to I want to get an idea of, of what people's viewpoints of a utopia look like. Because for me, when I was when I would travel, I would I would be looking for a utopia. Where is that place where I could find that peace of mind and be happy? So I wanted to give people an opportunity to articulate, you know, what theirs would look like or if, if they had um previously had that experience, what was it like? And so it was great to hear these descriptions of what people valued and what they would and creating their utopia. Yeah. You know, you uh, you asked Rondell at one point to to close his eyes and to describe his vision of a black utopia. And uh, I, I want to bring in uh, Ambassador Shabazz here and uh, I'm going to I'm going to read what um Rondell said, and then get uh, get both of your comments on the other side uh, of uh, of this quote. So again, you're you're on set, and you ask your guest Rondell Holder to close his eyes and you know speak to what he envisioned when he thought of a black utopia. And here's what he said: Happy black people, peace, an overwhelming sense of peace, great weather, beautiful water. Fresh fruit in abundance, a lot of mango. <laughs> the biggest thing, I think, is just no struggling. 
Black people across the world, they struggle so much. I see peace and happiness, and everyone has what they need, not only to survive, but to thrive, end quote. Man, it made me emotional thinking, thinking, listening to that and thinking through that. I mean, I think of our ancestors, I think of our parents, you know, who have struggled for us to have the ability to travel internationally, to host a podcast, to do the things that we are able to do. And when you hear the, the simple wishes for a utopia, it just it really moved me, man. So please give me your thoughts, Ambassador. You know, you're, you're welcome to jump in as you see fit. But Nate, what what are, what are your thoughts when you heard that? I, I loved it, especially the, the mango part, because I'm a professional eater. Uh, so, you know, I, I can relate to that part. But yeah, just the uh, even just the, you know, no, no, no pain and, you know, seeing people thrive. That was, um, you know, it moved me as well, you know, hearing it because you don't know what people's response is going to be. And I, um, I was, I was taken aback and I appreciated it because, because it was, uh, it, it struck a chord with similar, um, internal desires that I have with my, um, personal journey and traveling the world and, and looking for that utopia. So, so Nate, when you think of that world, the, the utopia against the backdrop and cold hard truth that the most likely cause of death for a black man in America until he reaches 45 is homicide. It's like cold water to your face. Um, it wakes you up out of the best dream that you've ever had. Yet we also know that we're thriving, you know, in this country. I mean, the New York Times this past weekend, there were four um, African-Americans on the cover of various subjects in the paper, from the book review to the art and leisure section to the New York Times style magazine. Black faces, black stories, black culture. The NBA season is just getting started. We know what that means in terms of the wealth, unprecedented wealth that we have. As you travel around the world, man, what 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 part of black culture do you think makes that journey with you? Or do folks see us in that light? Do they do they say, man, you guys are crushing it in America or or are they feeling our struggle? You know, the, people are aware of our struggle. And uh, I don't know. I never necessarily get the, 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 the statement of that we're crushing it. But my hope is that the uh, me being there is, uh, you know, is representation to where they um, they have access to, you know, African-American because otherwise they just see us on screens and to um, also be a different form of representation and not not, not only an athlete or an entertainer, but but with, you know, a combination of Barack Obama and, um, you know, obviously celebrities and stuff uh, that. That uh, that changes things and and uh, changes the perspective because they have this presidential you know um, icon that you know went global that um, has kind of you know set a different a different standard for us. So there is that um, there's that familiarity and then that that um, knowing that we um, that we're more cap that we that we we're capable of a lot of things. And I think also with social media and being able to to see more of our stories and a variety of stories has been helpful. Otherwise, you know, that you, they, you know, with years ago, if you only had to rely on the major news, you don't know what they're getting from, from their, um, what's being curated by these publications. But now everybody can, you know, find out what's going on at the heart of, of, uh, find the truth, 
you know, just just by picking up the phone. Right. Right. You know, I, I read an article um, last year that was written by a sister who was contemplating moving to Africa that she had basically had it with the U.S. This was after George Floyd and, and the tumultuous year that we had last year. And as you travel around, man, and, and you, you know, some folks thinking that way, what, what are your thoughts about, you know, what you leave behind and what you gain by, you know, the, the idea of, of life, you know, in another country? Well, that that's the beauty of of that I that notion. It's 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 more realistic and obtainable, you know, as as uh, other countries have developed, and it's not a far fetched idea. Um, even you know, for me, when I think about you know wanting to have some property or a second or third home in in South Africa or West Africa, you know, that's something that um that that's a, that that's real. Or I have a fr- a very close friend whose whose father in law bought land in Ghana. And they're eventually going to develop that land. So, you know, even just black people thinking about buying land or using their dispo- having a disposable income to make inve- investments abroad, you know, that those are the, the signs of the times that, that are changed. And um, and so it's, uh, it's it's very promising, you know, so I um, I wouldn't I would never discourage anybody from following their dreams. But I think that you that 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 woman would get less pushback in her community because, you know, it's not. That's that concept is 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 not bizarre anymore, right? Gotcha. So um, I've asked Ambassador Shabazz to to join us a little bit early here, Nate. She normally comes on uh, once I've concluded with a guest, and we do a little segment called "How We Move," and you know she moves around the globe, kind of like you do. But I thought it'd be really cool to have you know a little three way conversation, uh, since you two both share so much in common. And Ambassador, we were we were just discussing as you as you heard the idea of some folks who um, are planting you know their their flag down in other places around the globe. I know you've, you know, you have a, a, a plot of land that you're potentially working on developing some some housing in Belize. But just speak to that. What, what I guess my question was really kind of related to some of the frustration that, that uh, Black Americans feel in America, um, and that being the um, the impetus to want to find other places where we can live. And I think, Nate, to your earlier point, you said it really well. You know, we place borders, you know, man places borders, man names states and cities and countries in terms of, you know, the God or, or whomever the creator might be. You know, we're all one. Right. So why shouldn't we be free to move around the globe? So, Ambassador, what what is your thought about that? I mean, our, our, fo- our parents and ancestors fought and died for some of the things that we now have the benefit to do. Should we just abandon those things here and look abroad or what, what's your what's your take on on that? Well, I think if we move from the place of our DNA, we were everywhere before we, we were in, um, enslaved. We had a global um, nature. We had an, an expeditious nature. We had a navigating nature, a migrate nature, so that part of our seeds are indeed in some of these places we long to return to. I don't think we forfeit our homestead in the United States, but how wonderful is it that we now don't feel the boundaries within ourselves, that we can put down stakes in places we yearn to be in. It's kind of exciting. And when I listen to um, our guest, you, Mr. Fluellen, and how your parents and your professors and your own intrigues enables you, impels you to just search and quest for that which fits you, that in and of itself becomes an example that we don't get to see, we don't get to answer, we don't generally fulfill. So 
as an American citizen, I've always felt like a global citizen. I always felt like an African in the Western hemisphere um, and never bound despite the zip codes and census classifications put upon us. Now, how do we get to know ourselves as global citizens so that you can call yourself a resident anywhere? So there's a mixed sensibility. Um, would I go across at this point in my life, at age, I think age has something to do with it, where you are in your life. Um, I'm really curious about the African diaspora in the Western hemisphere. I'm really interested in the Caribbean and South America, not just being a place where people vacation, but really understanding what seeds of value were uh, placed here, you know, 400 years ago. So that's my navigation before heading across the Atlantic. Nate, does any of that land for you? Yes, I um, I definitely uh, agree about the the explore, explore exploring the Western Hemisphere because there's just knowing the the flow of how you know people slaves pass through the Caribbean to get to the United States. There is um, and then how there's that adoption of that strong national pride for Caribbean people uh, before they, um, you know, you know, touch into their African roots is very, uh, it's very interesting uh, just to see how they develop their enclave of culture. So I um, definitely agree upon exploring the, the Western Hemisphere uh, before going across the Atlantic. You had you had those options, you know, because we're just you know spread across everywhere. So a question, you know, I would pose because I think anybody that listens to this, if their appetite for travel and exploration is not ignited, then I guess they're meant to just stay home. So, but for those that are curious, but maybe have been apprehensive or not as encouraged as as either of you have been to see the world, what what could you say to you know to give them that extra push out the door and a and a level of comfort to know that the world is truly their oyster? Well, I, I always would um, always let people know that you know as African Americans, we we are the rock stars of the world because. People have this desire to see us because, like I said, mentioned earlier, we're, they they view us behind these screens, and then you know, not a lot of us do travel. So when they we are abroad, people recognize us and um uh, and want to be in our presence. I was telling a friend about how I was in Jordan, and it was this Bedouin guy, and we got I got off the bus. I was on the, with uh, the tourism board, and he was like, "Hey, black man, come here." <laughs> this older guy. <laughs> And I was like, oh, wow. He, he saw me and recognized that, you know, I'm a, I'm a black man. And, and, you know, and I appreciated his energy. But I, I really also felt saw the flip side of the coin where I was probably like maybe the only one of few people that black people that he ever um, got a chance to experience in life. But it also made me curious because he knew that I was a black man. So it was just so many. I wish I had more time to to, to talk to him more. But it was a great experience. So, Ambassador, what what would you say to encourage folks to uh, to leave the house, travel abroad comfortably, to be receptive to those? I mean, Nate, you know, one of the things that just occurred to me when you when you said that another brother might react differently to being, you know, called that way by someone in a foreign country. But, you know, you were receptive and you're open. And I think that's part of it. You know, you have to have an open nature. You can't carry baggage, you know, with you and 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 react to things that uh, don't give people a room mm. to get to know you. But Ambassador, what would you say to um, to give people a comfort level as they think about moving around again internationally? Well, moving around again or moving around at all, I think if you start with people who've never traveled at all, it's really having an opportunity to have programs like this and or tune in 
to Nate Flewellen so that they can actually see themselves in motion. They can dispel the anguish, the fears, the apprehensions, and realize that when they move from these shores, that there is a welcome mat. Most of the world is quite hospitable. And, and as he stated, you know, when they see him, they want to know him. They know our stories that are exported. So I think what, what's essential for us to do um, while aspiring to uh, choose or select a part of the world is to get ready for that world. And most people in the United States don't have a passport. I was reading up that there, there are more Facebook accounts than there are passports. And a passport is only $150, right? So it's $15 a year for the 10 years that you get to be a global traveler, whether you use it this year or next. There are 247 countries in the world. 194 of them are members of the United Nations, really close, approved, every part of Amnesty International. 54 of them are African. Another 26 are Caribbean. I mean, sky's the limit for where we'll find our brethren self and our like self, our soul mates, our soul yearnings. So I think it's listening to some of the shows that are really populating right now you know, Blacks who travel, Blacks who surf, Black safaris, and do the buddy buddying, the packages. You know, I do these a lot. And I know that people that are traveling with me, sometimes it's their first travel abroad. I, I see you both as citizens of the world. I mean, literally, the, the way that you live and the way that you move around the planet. If that's an accurate description, Nate, what does that mean to you to be a citizen of the world? That It means, it means freedom. You know that that's what I've accumulated over the years. Where I have friends all over the all over the planet, and it, you know, if it's a place that I haven't been to, I have a network where, you know, I'm gonna know somebody that that's that has been or can introduce me to somebody. So I never feel that that uh, anxiety of oh, you know, who am I gonna hang out with? What am I gonna do when I get there? I just know that I can make a few phone calls, or and then I, I have this network of people that um that will make my experience a lot easier. And then I could tap into that, that local culture and not just be restricted to the tourist stuff, but I can get the, uh, the behind the scenes experience and really have a, really get to know that destination. Ambassador, what does a global citizen mean to you? Well, you know, I want to even ask, ask Mr. Flewellen because I'm really ready to like lose weight and jump into his backpack. <laughs> <laughs> because I really love the way you navigate and move across the world from place to place. I mean, there are language barriers. How do you communicate? How do you engage? What would you say are the apprehensions your friends have and how do you calm them? Well, I would say, I feel like the language barriers are, are not as much um, depending on where you go. Uh, I mean, and then with um, technology, I, that's my, my hack is that, I have a, a a phone plan where I have unlimited data and texting, and then Google Translate is my friend. So I've I've been in Brazil where I've like, you know, got a girl phone number just <laughs> passing my phone back and forth, you know, just you know navigating through um, Google Translate or just any any situation because uh, just using that that's that technology. So I've I've so I don't have that um that the, the, the language barrier isn't as much of an issue as it has been in the past. And I just, you know, leverage technology to, to get around. Cause with Google translate it's so intuitive. I don't know the exact count, but it translates so many languages and it's so accurate that um, you can virtually go if, with an internet connection, you can get around 
pretty much anywhere. I mean, they even have Zulu um, in uh, in Google Translate. Any of it you retain? Do you retain it? No. Any of the phraseologies? No, I, I haven't retained anything. I'm I'm a beginner with Spanish, and um, I'm working on French right now. Uh, the 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 Spanish that I do know have learned it makes the French a lot easier to to understand. But um, but eventually I'll, I'll have you know these two languages, and then you know. One, one, then I'll probably get excited about another language and see if that'll be my my um my version of my man cave or you know in the backyard planting flowers. It'll be learning another language. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to speak the twelve languages that I heard that Paul Robeson spoke, and I mentioned that to my mother once, who thought that that was not an attainable goal for the, the average person. But while I don't speak twelve, because I travel and I enjoy and I want to immerse. I can say thank you in over 40 languages and they do stay with me. I don't remember them until I have need to use them just by virtue of the, the immersions, you know? So uh, when I think about how you can dive in and, and, and cuisine the way they cuisine, that's not my strength, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can do uh, some of that. However, being able to communicate and break bread the way you have is just really a treasure. And I think whether we are abroad doing it, or we learn how to do that even in the United States, right? Just in, from city to city, town to town, um, what we've gone through in the last 24 months, how do we do what you do abroad here? Yeah, you know, a simple a simple hello goes a long way. And I like the um, the French culture, they, they get upset if you enter into a room and you don't say bonjour or say hello. So even just taking that as far as that culture and then using and adopting that, adopting that into everywhere you go would make a huge difference. So that's the, those are the, the nuances of, of traveling where you incorporate that into your lifestyle, where it's, you know, you know, growing up, it's like, oh, you don't speak. You want to be, you know, the swagger or tough. But, it, you know, if you say hello to somebody. It, it just goes a long way, and being, you know, living in the South for a little bit, I, I've seen it, and it reminds me of just that. That common courtesy makes a huge difference. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm with you on that too. Do you find that when you're back here in the United States, that the demographics of culture are translatable to you? I mean, when you visited someone's homeland and you come across someone from that place, do you converse or share from that um, experience? Yes, I do. Um, I tr- you know I, I try to impart my my experiences um, with with my with, especially with my my close circle of friends and even with uh, my my Instagram story. I always share my experiences on that. So that's probably that's I feel like that's me in real time translating my experience to to my audience and sharing. So I'm always continuously sharing wherever I am in that moment. So I'm all so I always want to show people, oh, this is cool, or this is what I discovered, or this is how you you say this is this is what they do. And so um so being having an Instagram stories using that app is how I'm able to to really like just just share, not not hoard my experiences, but just just keep giving them away. And so it's always making room for new things to share. So Nate, what's what's next for you, man? Next for me, uh, still travel. So I um I have a a travel series coming out with with uh, Good Sam RV. They uh this a it's an RV company, and you can go and uh, rent an RV and take a trip without having to own the RV. So um, last month 
I had filmed with them where I met, I landed in North Dakota, picked up the RV, which was my 49th state, and then drove into South Dakota, which was my 50th state, and experienced uh, South Dakota. So I've been to all 50 states now. So now I feel like an American. I can say I've been to everywhere in my country. And so um, so I'm excited about um, about when that content comes out. So I'm excited for people to see that experience. And it was my first time traveling in an RV. So that was pretty exciting. Got a chance to go uh, off-roading and hot air in a hot air balloon and went to Mount Rushmore. And it was uh, South Dakota. North Dakota was awesome. South Dakota was, was really nice. And yeah, I'm excited to, to share that content with people. So you know, even with my audience, they can see the, oh, I, I want to go to all 50 states. So, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, where, you know, where is that? Or why would you go there? And then, then I can show people these are the reasons why. That sounds super cool, man. Ambassador, are you down for a little RV exploration? I would do an RV exploration journey um, as long as we did it by day. <laughs> <laughs> across America, <laughs> you know, um, there's so many amazing places to stop, right, and touch down, including, Mr. Flewellen, some of those international communities that you've traveled to, there are pockets of those cultures here, you know, um, that to me is also kind of exciting as well, you know, depending on which state you go into, which city you go to, where has that group settled, where have they gathered, and um, and that navigation, what is that binational experience? Yeah, I, 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 um, I feel you on that because I always I haven't figured it out or did the research, but I always wonder why so many East Africans settled in, in Minnesota. So there's a lot, you know, in Minneapolis and even when um, and some even uh, trickling into, into Denver as well. And so that's been something that's always been curious that I, um, I just wonder what, what was the attraction of Minnesota? So, Nate, we're, we're closing out. And uh, I want to turn the tables on you for a moment and ask you to close your eyes, sir. And I want you to describe to Ambassador and I and our audience here what a Black utopia would look like to you. A Black utopia would be a warm destination with white sand beaches, with the perfect ways where all the Black people know how to swim and they can serve, and there's fresh seafood being cooked, and and uh, there's there's a there's a DJ playing music, and everybody is is at the beach, you know, enjoying life, being under the sun, uh, drinking fresh coconut water from coconuts from the trees, and uh, and surfing, and surfing and catching waves, and people are dancing in the water, dancing in the waves, and and um and then it's. That's that's a utopia because when you're in the water, you don't have any cell phone, any electronic devices. You're not texting or anything. You just in that moment, you and the ocean and God and and just and enjoying life. And mm. that would be my black utopia. That sounds like every weekend in my house in, in my dreams. So I'm I'm right there with you, brother. <laughs> well, Nate Fluellen, man, it it really is fun to even be on a journey virtually with you, watching where you go and and how you do it. And uh, this conversation has been thoroughly enjoyable. Um, you know, I aspire to, you know, to live some of the adventure that that you do. Ambassador, any closing thoughts, anything uh, you want to share before we let Mr. Flewellen off the hook here? Well, just that I'm really excited to hear and learn about more people that travel, talk about it, share, and hope that we have a growing population of people who are willing to dare to cross borders and to understand themselves in context to a greater world 
that the world awaits them. It does not shun them. And that we just need to be prepared and equipped and as hospitable in exchange as those who welcome us. Lovely. Lovely. So I'm going to close on because because Nate got me thinking about this utopia thing, man. And, and I don't know why, but the words to a Commodore song just started to resonate with me this morning. I'll just read a little verse from their track called Sweet Love. Ah, show me a place where dreams are for dreamers and all the things you wish come true. Yeah. I'd wish the world had all happy people. Then there'd be no more wishing to do. So with that... I thank you both for your time. Nate, safe travels to you, sir, and uh, be well. And I hope you come back and see us soon. All right. Thank you. Corner Table Talk is hosted by Brad Johnson, produced by Brad and Linda Ailes Johnson. Theme music, Life Goes On by Bryce Vine. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Corner Table Talk podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Corner Table Talk is a mean old lion media production.